Hello, Bo Buchanan here from Arizona Lodge Number 2 with another edition of On the Level. Today I am speaking with Matt Morales. Matt is the Worshipful Master of Saguaro Lodge here in Phoenix and also has a podcast called Copper Talk. Matt, I usually ask everybody to introduce himself and just tell me the, your name, the name of your Blue Lodge, and your title in that lodge. My name is Matt Morales, or Matthew Morales. I am the Worshipful Master of Saguaro 45 here in Phoenix, Arizona. And when were you raised as a Mason, and how long have you been a Mason? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I believe I was raised to a Master Mason in 2009. Right? What is he, 2016 now? About seven years. About right. Seven years, okay. And why did you decide to join Freemasonry? <laughs> um, that's a pretty good question, though. <laughs> so... Let's talk about it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm sorry to be sticking my phone in your face, but nah, I find the audio is not very good when I don't do that. When I'm fine. getting the mic. It's completely understandable. Um, so why did I join Freemasonry? Um, I consider myself something of an American patriot and a lover of American history and a believer in relevant ethical, moral, and character standards. And I met, growing up, I met some good men who were Masons. Um, and each of them represented to me something that I wanted to achieve personally in my life. One of them in particular, when I was in college at Arizona State University, I had a professor who was a interesting guy who I believe was a uh, did, was army ranger then he after he was done in the army went on and thought he was going to become a Jesuit priest and was a novitiate uh, left that and found himself in masonry and him and I became pretty good uh, friends because uh I had encountered him, uh, of all places, through the Jewish Students Association. So apparently... The priest you met in the Jewish Student Association? Well, he was no longer... He no longer oh, he was, was no longer a priest, okay. And uh, I guess after time in the army and time seeing the inside of the Catholic Church, you find yourself in Judaism. <laughs> and uh, and I really liked him. And him and I got to talking, and um, we were out one night having drinks, and I never... It was... I had... Um, taken a class with him and it was in the fall and in the spring is when I got to know him as a friend when we were out drinking after a, a Jewish student's uh, Torah study of all things and uh, he rolls up his sleeves because it's a warmer night in spring and I see um, markers on the inside of his forearms that are um, descriptive tattoos of a, of a master mason um, a square and compass on one side, the all-seeing eye um, on one side, and uh, columns on his arm, on his inside of his forearms. And I lean in and I'm like, "Are you a Mason?" And he's like, "Yeah." I said, "When did you become a Mason?" He's like, "Well, I was a Mason when I was in the army." He goes, "But I didn't really become a Mason um, until after I, I finished with the Catholic Church." 
I said, why, how do you mean, what do you mean you want to be king? And he was like, in, in the military, you kind of join with prince haulers, and when you're out, you know, you're, um, you're deployed or you're at uh, camps around the world that have Masonic lodges, a, a different military installations all over the world. And he said it was kind of there for camaraderie. When I came back home and I joined back up with the lodge where I lived, I believe it was Wisconsin where he was at. He says, then I learned about personal development, basically, not the, the, the team-oriented side of it. And uh, him and I delved deep and uh, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, was sitting there with me and she goes, oh, you two are meant to talk. <laughs> because she knew, she knew that I had, <clears throat> and one of my personal life goals was to become a Mason. <clears throat> but I always kept pushing it back, right? I was like, knocked it back a little bit, didn't want to pursue it. And I guess that was about 23, 22, 23 when that happened. Um, and uh, so I, uh, after that conversation, I did some like deep diving as to what, what I could get out of masonry, what I would put into it on the then internet, which was like, What's, not much. Not much back then. <laughs> it was AOL and CompuServe. <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't that bad, but it was close. I mean, you had nothing. I mean, you we were – that was like – I want to say that's pre-Google. What's that, like AltaVista, Yahoo Search? AltaVista, that was my favorite, yeah. And uh, I found some the, more of the negative stuff on it, and I found some positive stuff. And then I found an email address for the then Secretary of the Grand Lodge of the State of Arizona. And I emailed him. And, uh, email out the gate. You email the secretary of the Grand Lodge of Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to know what I had to do. Right. And uh, so um, I never really got a response. I got a thank you for your email uh, thing, and, and then we'll look into it. And uh, I thought that was that. And. Time goes by, and I finished my undergrad, and then I finished my MBA, and I told you that I was really involved in martial arts. I wrestled in college, and I got into um, different grappling arts and things in martial arts later on. Um, but I felt a slowdown happening in my life because it felt like I was done with all my my initial studies, what I call, you know, finishing your postgraduate work and all that. And I was in a mindset to continue learning. And I, my, I was now married, and uh, I, <laughs> I knocked on the door of masonry, literally, uh, by getting hold of a guy named John Ruth and uh, telling him that he was the secretary of a lodge here in downtown Phoenix that I wanted to, uh, to pursue this. And he says, you know, you come by the lodge and, uh, and we'll talk about it. I remember that day, because I think that was 2008 Veterans Day. My wife worked with the Veterans Administration. And I spent a lot of time volunteering down at the, the veterans' home, you know, throwing cards and uh, hanging out with the guys and such. And uh, that particular day, I get cornered 
by about six or seven guys. Veterans. <clears throat> Veterans. And uh, um, they say, so, you're looking into the brotherhood, huh? <laughs> and I go, excuse me? And so a couple of them whip out their rings and such. <laughs> and I go, ah, how do you know? They're like, oh, we know. <laughs> I later figured out that um, that a good Mason pokes around and sees when he's when uh, when somebody asks about Masonry, you want to know a little more about them. And John knew about me that I, I volunteered at the vet's home. And being, I think, being a vet himself, called up some of his friends who are at the home who both volunteer and some of them live there. What do you think about this kid? And they apparently all knew me. And they're like, what took you so long? <laughs> what's your, what's your, your issue? And I'm like, I just didn't know. I, I, I didn't know that it would, I didn't know that I, that I had to press a little harder. Like, I, you know, you could, you contact the, say, the Grand Lodge secretary and he's busy. But uh, that very same guy is now a friend of mine. Who's uh, used to be in the old day. You asked a friend, but I didn't have any close friends at that point. I was no longer uh, associated with that teacher who, who oh, okay. uh, at ASU, I had gone through my MBA and such, and I was separated by time and space. And um, it, it was incumbent upon me to have to walk to the front door of this huge Masonic temple and knock on it myself. Um, a little intimidating. It's the, the glass and the marble and the stone, and you hear the, <gasps> who's out there? <laughs> my name is Matt. I'm here to see John Ruth. Go up to the second floor. So I come up to the second floor. Um, after that day at the veterans at the veterans home, I came over here and I uh, and I met with John, and uh, he took me upstairs to the lodge, and uh, we must have sat in the lodge for about two hours, talking about the content of a man and what it takes to be a good person, and what a Masonic life is and what that pursuit is all about. And I tried to, to work with John as, as much as he could get a good understanding of me and be as open as possible with what I was seeking. He gave me such wonderful sage advice that to this day, I try to pass it on to as many young Masons as I possibly can. He was the secretary of his lodge. He was secretary of the lodge that I eventually was uh, entered past and raised in. And he... What lodge was that? Sawara 45. Sawara 45. Um, and he ended up being a pillar that I leaned on um, for my initial mentorship into Masonry. He was... Uh, he's a... I wish we were still good friends. He's not around as much as possible, but he's not like, feeling as well as he used to. But learning from somebody who's seen masonry for a long time, who studied masonry not just as um, a beautiful art form and, the, and its symbols and everything that is inculcated in it, but the lifestyle of a mason. You know, um, that uh, idea that uh, that I love so much is that I took an oath to be better every day, right? To be, to wake up in the morning and be like, you know, you could do better. And you've heard me talk to other brothers. I try to pass that on. Like, hey, you know, relax. 
things are going to be okay. You know, you just breathe it out. We're going to be, we're going to be fine. Masonry is about to reach its 300th year in the modern form since the, the since the um, the development of modern masonry in the United Grand Lodge of England. We're coming up on 300 years. So there's not really anything you could do that's going to derail it. What you can do is add to it. Um, and hopefully that I get to to add something special to it by helping my brothers achieve their personal goals and uh, through that allowing the community to reach its goals. And that's why I decided to join. Thanks for that short uh, answer, man. I think you, I think you put, that was 12 and a half minutes. Um, but you like answered five of my questions in that. Also, okay, one of the other questions is, uh, is anything different about Freemasonry than you expected? That's something you didn't cover. Oh, that, what's different? Um, you know, we, we hear a lot. Everybody has oh, grandiose okay. ideas so, of what it's about. Okay, you know? so I expected it to be much more mysterious than it is. I expected to come in and learn great secrets about the world. And what you learn is great secrets about yourself. Mm, um, right. That's the greatest part of it. You expect it to be a mystery. All it does is help you and I talked to a young uh, a prospect that came in today to talk to us before lunch. I said, he's like, <clears throat> he's like, what am I going to get out of this? I said, if you want to, um, if you want to make connections, go to Rotary. If you want to be a better volunteer, go to like Lions Club or something like that. Kiwanis. Right? Kiwanis, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to seek making the world better by making yourself a better person who's ready to make the, your community better, come here. It's a harder process. It's not as easy as going and picking up trash or, <laughs> or painting a building. No, it is not. Right? It's way not. It's, it's like, because we do that stuff too, but we, that's not our focus. Our focus is that through through personal enlightenment, um, man can be so much greater. Um, and that was the surprise. The surprise was that if you really think about it, you have all the Masonic answers inside. You just need to take the time um, to do it. And I think that's what Lodge gives you. Lodge gives you that time to, to work it out, um, whether it's a positive experience or a negative experience. Uh, for some people it is and some people it isn't. But, uh, some take take it more to heart than others, just like any organization. Some will live, eat, and breathe it. Some may not. Um, yeah, and I try to do. I try to wake up and be a mason. Um, I try. I'm a dad, and I try. And that's the funny thing is, um, is I tell my my oldest son, who's only five or four, he's gonna be five soon, that I expect him to be better tomorrow. Um, he doesn't know yet that that's a Masonic characteristic. What I hope is that, and I don't know if I'm pushing him to be Mason or anything, what I'm pushing him to be is the kind of young man that thinks about his actions before he takes them. Um, 
because it's best to be a mason in your heart before you ever become a mason in the lodge. And if he's if he's the kind of person that thinks about his words and thinks about his actions, then I have performed well as a good Masonic father to to those ends. And being a good husband and creating an environment for my family and my wife where they can be happy um, and have the freedoms that they choose, I guess is also inside of that same vein. So living every day as a Mason is not easy. Um, it's hard sometimes to hear people disparage other people when it's not necessary. And you have to kind of, I don't know, it's not necessarily incumbent upon a Mason to just sit there and take it. It's not Buddhism. It's, <laughs> it's more like... Suffer in silence. You don't suffer. No, Masons don't suffer. <laughs> but we also, we also only, you know, we only, we only take it upon ourselves to correct each other. We don't, we, we try to create the, a corrective environment for the, for the world around us in our community. But we're not so direct in how we do it. Um, I like that, that we can, you know, once in a while make anonymous donations to those who need it. Um, that's something else, I guess I tell people about Masonry, is that uh, it's a really great place to make an impact and not get any credit for it. So, which leads me to my next question, actually, is can you tell me about, on the flip side, can you tell me about a Mason or someone in Masonry who's made a big impact on you, other than, obviously, the, the gentleman who inspired you to become a Mason, can you tell me about somebody who, who, to you, embodies those ideals, who lives life as a Mason and inspires you to be a better Mason? Living? Doesn't have to be living. <clears throat> so one of the things about Masonry in America right now that can be um, difficult, uh, I'm 36, I'm going to be 37 in a couple months here. When I came in, I was, you know, seven years younger, 29, 30. Um, that... For being so young, you make a lot of friends with a lot of guys who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's, a, it's an odd place to make friends with such people. Um, and to have dinner with them at stated meeting and a lodge and education and things like that. But that's, to me, that's one of the beauties of masonry because otherwise you don't get exposed to that generation if you don't have those people I in your family. Never, well, and even in your family, you don't take their... Having an uncle who's 75, 80 years old isn't like having a fraternal brother who's that same age. Right. Because you listen to them, and also they cut loose a lot more uh, around you than they would. Um, masonry has two parts. My favorite, like, fork and knife masonry, where you're sitting around having dinner and, and uh, just shooting the shit and having fun. But um, it's hard to, to make friends who are 85 years old and who two years later die of a heart attack or who a couple years later die of cancer for who they've been fighting it for the fourth time. Um, or a brain aneurysm or any of the other things that I can uh, sit and talk about where I've lost brothers. And um, a couple of them stood out. I guess they've passed all user names. It's okay. Um, three particular brothers who, who taught me what there is to be a Mason. One of them, his name was Bob Benning. He's no longer with us. 
And when it came to that um, that idea of that I, I referenced earlier, like the Masonic father, the Masonic husband, of really, you know, loving everyone around you. Bob, Bob in, in like immortalized that. And uh, others knew it too. And when he passed from this earth, it was hard. But um, it imprinted upon me the necessity to drive forward in his path. Um, another one who I lost shortly thereafter that uh, was his name was John Acker. He was the most can cantankerous, hard-headed, stubborn son of a bitch that I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> And I loved him for it. And he'd probably wear that as a badge of honor, wouldn't he? <laughs> Absolutely. He was an attorney. And to get you an idea of what he taught me, he taught me work ethic beyond all odds. So his third bout with, bo with bone marrow cancer, I visited him in the uh, um, I visited him in the hospital, and he called me an effing liberal. Um, <laughs> And I'm actually a Republican, and he is too, but I'm not Republican enough for him. And uh, he sees my wife come in here with me, and I just wanted to see my brother and um, be there for him. So he's there fighting cancer, and instead of taking it easy, to his right is a box of cases that he's currently litigating and, uh, and working on. Cow. Death or the impendence of death didn't stop John Acker from achieving his goals. Um, he just kept fighting forward, which was awesome. And uh, he, he picked up the phone. He settled this case after looking through it. I'm sitting there next to him talking to him. He grabs the phone. We're over at the hospital down the street. And, uh, and he clears the case. And uh, I don't know how, how bad I, I can. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what he said. I don't care what he said. <clears throat> he goes, um, he gets off the phone, slams it down, and he goes, yes. And he turns to me and he goes, he goes, I'm sitting here dying and I just made $50,000. What have you done with your day, you lazy piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> I said, John, I didn't make 50K sitting on my desk, though. And he goes, ah, this isn't going to get me. And he was right. It didn't get him. Oh, really? He oh. got past that one. It took about wow. another year and a half for the, for the next wave to get him. Um, but he never, and I later, later when it took me about six to eight months to figure out why he was pushing so hard. So he was pushing hard because he wanted to close enough cases to make enough money knowing that his doctor told him he was going to die already and he had a timeline. So that his wife and his kids, grown children, um, could have what they needed to oh. make it to the end of his wife's life. Oh. Right? Um, the lesson in that, it comes up in masonry a lot, is that uh, life is finite. Right? John Acker taught me that. John Acker taught me that with that finite period of time, um, you must be the most that you can get out of life. 
one of the first things you learn in masonry is you're going to die. And confront that. Be okay with that. And know that um, God gives you a finite period of time to make the greatest amount of impact you can and be the best you can. Um, and that's all you have. You just have this short snippet of time. John was really good at that. The last one I'll tell you real quick is a guy that you know too, Sam Lebo. Um, Sam Lebo was the, the third part of the great part of being a mason where your hands, you get your hands dirty in anything you need to do. I'm, I'm sorry I only got to know Sam on a superficial basis. I, yeah. he, I came to Lodge. I met him several times at dinner, but I really not, never got a chance to get to talk to him. Sam and I became really good friends uh, shortly after I became a mason, and he taught me a lot. In fact, uh, he was my um, top-line center. I became a Scottish Rite Freemason. Really? Um, nice. He, and, uh, he, he, he made sure to push me to achieve what I needed to achieve. Sam is the kind of person who didn't wait for other people to achieve stuff. He would go get it done. And that's something that I needed in my life then and I need it now is that if I'm going to do it, just go do it. Don't wait around. Do you have an idea? Is it going to help people? Go do it. Just get it done. Do, they, does, do these people, does this school need a fence? Okay, then go find the money and go build that fence. If you know there is an issue, get it resolved. That's all that Sam was about. That's why if you look around this building, you see stuff with Sam's name all over it. Because if an issue needed to, it was presented, resolve it and move on. Don't wait for other people to realize it. Don't wait for a committee to be held. Don't worry about it. If there was a bench in a park that needed to be fixed, raise the money, buy the bench, have the city install the bench, we're done. <laughs> he did it. So much so that he became a reserve police officer in the city of Phoenix, and the award for, for service is called the Samuel Liebel oh, Service Award. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Because if you saw an issue, he attacked it, he solved it, and he didn't need credit for it. He just did it. Um, and that's how that go back to that idea. If you want to get things done, Sam taught me that great. You do it, just don't expect credit for it. Right? Just do it. Get it done. It's good. We're good. And I like being around a group of men who are willing to do that same thing. So on that note, while you take a breath, on getting things done, I'm going to ask you one more question, if you can answer in two minutes or less, because I'm going to lose my battery and my phone is going to die. <laughs> But tell me... You didn't know that I could talk for so long. I had no idea. I, I should have known you're a radio host. Yeah, you should have known you can talk. Um, tell me one of your favorite memories of something you've done in masonry, an, an event or uh, an accomplishment or something like that. What is my favorite thing that I've done in masonry? Dang it, Bo. Um, it would be... One is very Masonic and the other one is kind of community oriented. We put together, um, a young man came to us uh, who was an Eagle Scout who wanted to do a very big project. And one of our, yeah, one of our brothers uh, created an, a device that would allow blind people to be able to navigate a, a physical environment. And he took that device and he made it a part of his Eagle Scout um, project. <coughs> and... Um, we were able to go to other Masonic organizations and fund the entire thing. And now, into perpetuity, South Mountain Community, or South Mountain Park in Phoenix 
is now has a fully accessible, um, fully realized trail um, that is open to everybody. Accessible to the blind, right? Accessible to the blind, yeah. um, meaning fully accessible. And that's a really great accomplishment to make a, a positive impact in the, in yeah, the community um, through the eyes of this child. Child, he's like 17 years old. Um, but he did such a great thing that I made sure that we got back to him so we know that, hey, uh, if you ever want to become a Mason, you know, you have our vote because <laughs> you you already showed the show the initiative to make that happen. That's on the outside of the lodge, and that that's was like what, that's what Eagle Scouts do. I'm an Eagle Scout. Too. Yeah, you're an Eagle Scout. <laughs> um, and I think that's but that's a, that's a very important thing to do is uh, Eagle Scouts share that. There's a lot of Eagle Scouts that are Mason. Yeah. I think they share a lot of the same um, character uh, traits. The thing that happens that I love seeing that happens inside the lodge um, is any time I get to see a father um, watch his son become a mason. That's cool. So that uh, it's hard not to be kind of teary-eyed when that happens, um, whether it's a first, second, or third degree, especially if it's a third degree. But um, being there for that moment is probably one of the most special things. I have two sons now, and brother, like they're small, like four and five months, four years old and five months, and I and as soon as I became a father, witnessing that of watching a dad and his son, watching his son become a mason, tore me up inside. <laughs> I was like, oh god, that's too much, and uh, and I'd have to keep it together. Sometimes I was successful, sometimes I wasn't. Um, and for those people who aren't Masons that are listening to this, it may not uh, be it may not be as, as as easy to grasp. But to, to explain it, it's like watching maybe when a uh, someone in the in the military who's a veteran who had a successful career then turns around and sees his son become uh, a soldier as well, or um, anytime you take a parent sees a child follow in their footsteps it, and find success. Yeah, and it's a very special moment. And just getting to be there for that moment and being a part of that moment with somebody is pretty intense. And I think that has to be my my the most um, amazing thing that happens inside the lodge. So. All right, Matt, you have successfully been the longest interview I've done yet. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Of course. Appreciate it. Which questions did we not get to? Uh, I'll tell you in a second here. <laughs> 